How you guys doing? Are we good? All right. I'm glad you guys are back and you're real excited about it. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, so we are going to be reading from the scriptures. Uh, if you guys want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 16 through 18 this morning. I wanted to kind of preface this morning by saying uh, I kind of struggled with where to go with the sermon this week. I Honestly, as a pastor, I kind of struggled with whether or not we should continue to speak out with regards to some of the cultural issues going on and what Jesus, how Jesus informs uh, some of the cultural stuff that is taking place before us. And I sat down with our sermon group this week, and I was like, this is what I'm thinking. And I kind of plopped it all out, and they're like, ah, I think we should stay in Matthew. And I'm like, no, I think we should do this. And then after a while of talking it through, I really felt like the Lord was telling us to stay the course in the book of Matthew and keep going through this series. And uh, also, I felt like the Lord really gave me, I guess, some insight into this passage. Um, I, I was resistant at first because I thought we'd just come in and we'd dive right into fasting. And it just seems like an odd time to be like, all right, now on to fasting, guys. Uh, but I think in light of this passage, if we get to the heart of what really Jesus is trying to get at in this passage— it's not about fasting. It really is about the heart. And last week we talked about love. We talked about um, the, the world knowing Christ, seeing Christ in us and through us by our love for one another. We talked about making Jesus the center of this church. And it's really interesting, you know, through this whole COVID season, I, we've had continued conversation after conversation with our staff and our, our leaders and our elders about, like, what do we want to see God do in this church? Like, what when, when we come together on a Sunday, like, what's the purpose of this? Why do we do this? And if we aren't here this morning in order for God to meet us in this place, for us to be changed and transformed by his word it, through prayer, in, in worship, like, if we aren't here to just fully give it all to Jesus, then what are we doing this morning? Like, this becomes just a very religious function. And so in light of what Jesus is addressing in this passage this morning, I think it was uh, very timely that the Lord would have us in this section of scripture uh, this morning, just given the current kind of society and cultural conflict and whatnot that we see going on around us. So um, in Matthew chapter six, verses 16 through 18, just to give you kind of uh, a quick overshot of like maybe the theme, what Jesus is saying, he's basically challenging you and me to take off our masks and see who we actually are. And so this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about hypocrisy, which I'm so sorry, dads. You know, mothers get flowers on Father's Day, and dads just come get like a kick to the face. No. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to address hypocrisy in, in the church and get to the heart of what Jesus is addressing uh, in these passages. So if you guys would turn with me, Matthew chapter 6, 16 through 18, let's read that and let's pray and let's dive in. Cool? Are you guys with me this morning? You can be kind of charismatic. It's all right, okay? Yeah, there we go. Like. Uh, okay. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward in secret. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this real privilege to gather as your church, to glorify, to magnify your name as we sang this morning, God. And I pray as we dig into your word this morning that, um, Lord, if there's any wicked way in our hearts, that uh, you'd have your way with it this morning, God. I pray for our hearts to be softened, for us to hear from your voice this morning, Jesus, for you to speak to each and every condition of every heart in this room. I pray you'd meet us in this place. You'd change us transform us, God, and not to be cliche, but I do pray that we'd leave here differently than we came, God. I pray that we'd meet you in this place, God. If, this, if there's no purpose behind what we're doing this morning, then this is just a religious shell, and I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so I pray, Jesus, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd use your word to pierce our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to take a look at these three verses this morning. Uh, and so I'd like to, before we dive into them, give us kind of like a 30,000-foot view of where we've been over the last I don't know, six to eight months as we've been working our way through the book of Matthew. 
Uh, and specifically, I wanted to give us kind of like a 30,000 foot view of what we've dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount leading up to this point for the last two chapters in the book of Matthew. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, as we started it, began with this really sort of provocative picture of the kingdom of God. Um, it was what people of the kingdom look like, of Jesus' kingdom. It was what people who have chosen to make Jesus the king of their lives, what, what their lives, what their character, how, how, how they reflect Jesus. And, and so Jesus is saying some really odd things throughout here that culturally was probably difficult for the Jews to bite off, especially the religious elite that Jesus is talking to in some of these passages as we're getting further down in here. But you'd think that Jesus' followers, uh, both in Jesus' day and today, would be these people that were powerful. You'd think that they'd be these people that were just noble, people that were strong, these type A leaders, like this is God's kingdom, these people are going to like come in, kick butt, and take names. And it was sort of what the Jews expected in Jesus, and when Jesus came in, Jesus sort of came in in this very upside-down manner. So in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually says something very different than what the people expected, and I want you to hear that today, that, that his kingdom was basically full of unexpected people. Like, it just didn't make sense. He says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, the kingdom of God is full of these unexpected people. It's people who have made Jesus the king of their lives, and their lives are not their own. It's not about them anymore, but it's about having hearts that yearn for Jesus. And so Jesus, again, is going to get back to the heart. He's coming back to very simple things, like what is at the core of what you do? Why do you do what you do? And so we've talked a lot through this series of messages about how the kingdom of God, again, was like this upside-down kingdom, that it's this kingdom that doesn't come through the power systems of the world, but it comes through the selfless and sacrificial love of Jesus, amen? Like, he, it was different than what anybody expected, and the people that live as part of this kingdom attached to Jesus are different than what the world expects. We're not religious. We're people that have a relationship with the Father. And so Jesus says there at the end of the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter five, that you, you, kingdom people, that you're the light of the world, that, that you are the salt of the earth, that you have a place here and now. And those words, I think, speak loudly to us, as loud to us in 2020 as they did in the first century when Jesus walked this earth and Jesus was preaching the sermon. Um, to to Jesus' disciples, this this was um, special, like you're the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, and the same message is being proclaimed to us today, that the kingdom of God is here and now, that people who've chosen to make him king of their lives actually can make a difference in this world, amen? Like you are, there's a flavor to you, a saltiness to you that doesn't exist in the rest of the world. And so then Jesus goes on to take this issue further by saying, unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the Pharisees. He makes this statement. And what Jesus means by righteousness when he says this in the Sermon on the Mount is like, unless your, your, your practice of the kind of life that God desires for you exceeds that of the Pharisees, which seemed impossible because the Pharisees literally followed, followed every jot and tittle of the law, that your practice of the kind of life that you have access to as a kingdom citizen of the Most High God, unless it exceeds that of the Pharisees, is what Jesus is saying. So it sounds impossible. But to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about these Pharisees, these Pharisees were the holier-than-thou type. They, they, they were the picture of piety in Jesus' day. And so Jesus is saying not that you need to be more pious than the Pharisees. But what he's actually pointing out is the reality that when Jesus talks about righteousness, what he talks about um, with regards to Christian living, that he's got a completely different standard than what the religious leaders had, which their standard was all in what they did, absent of heart. And Jesus' emphasis here is that the standard of righteousness is not external, it's internal. He, he wants access to the heart. And so all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 5 until we get to this passage here, 
where we are today, it's all been about heart issues. The, Jesus takes us deeper than external ha- acts of righteousness, deeper than external good works that you can do. He's taking us deeper to the motivations, to the affections of our hearts, to the, the desires of our heart. And what Jesus is challenging us to do in Matthew chapter 6 is he's challenging us to take off the mask that religion so often puts on. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, removing this mask that somehow religion has, has put on, this fake mask that religion has put on. And, and this is something that we call hypocrisy. This is what Jesus is addressing. Back in Matthew 6, ch- uh, chapter 6, verse 1, if you remember, uh, we covered that passage uh, like about a month or two months ago. But he said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be noticed. And notice Jesus was pointing us to the motivation behind our action, the internal, not the action itself, but the motivation. What motivates you to actually do these things? And then he goes on to say, in order to see, be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Because what's Jesus saying? That your reward is in the accolades and the applause that you get from, good job. Like you did all the right things, great job. That's the extent of your reward. And Jesus says the reward actually sits elsewhere. It's not in what you get from people. The reward sits with your Father. It's knowing and being with Him. And so what we saw in the beginning, Matthew chapter 6, is that doing the right things for the wrong reasons was worthless in Jesus' eyes. And what Jesus does here in Matthew 6 is He gives us three examples of this. In Jesus' day and age, uh, you had sort of three big um, uh, the, the, the big three of religion, the, the three things that, they, that Jesus talks a lot about with regards to their religious acts. One was tithing or, or giving alms to the poor. Um, two, Jesus talks a lot about fasting, and he talks about praying. And these were sort of the big three for the Jewish culture. And so I'd venture to say that if we tried to sort of build a bridge from Jesus's culture to our culture today and overlay this and then ask ourselves the question this morning, what are the big three in our culture today? What, it, when it comes to American church, American evangelicalism, what are the big three things that we sort of chalk up to being the marks of Christianity? And I'd say the big three in our, in our culture today um, would be Prayer, uh, reading our Bible, and going to church. It's the things we talk about all the time. In, in American evangelicalism, if you can do all of those things, you sort of create the religious shell. And you've sort of checked all the boxes, and if you can do those things and do them consistently, and people see you doing those things, you have sort of ran the race, and you've followed God. And so overlay that. So that, that's, that's sort of our culture today. These are kind of the big three of what our culture would say are the marks of a Christian. So what Jesus wants to do is he wants to take these big cultural three with regards to religion, whatever they are, and Jesus wants to go deeper. He wants to get to the heart. He wants to ask the hard question, which is why? Why pray? Why read the Bible? Why go to church? Why be a part of a church? Why are you doing those things? And he's not saying that any of these things, even to the Pharisees, he's not saying that their acts are bad. In fact, they're actually part of the Christian life. You'll hear us refer to spiritual disciplines a lot. I hope that we are people of prayer. I hope that fasting is something we practice in our lives. Communion is something we do. I hope that we find value in the collective of the church coming together to worship Jesus and to study his word. I hope that there's value in those things. But those things minus the heart equal the religious shell that Jesus is pushing back against in regards to the Pharisees. And so Jesus is concerned with what's behind the mask? Like what's really going on? In fact, hypocrisy all throughout Matthew's gospel um, is a main concern that Jesus has that he pushes back against. And honestly, I think we, I, should be equally as concerned about it today because the reality is that um, all of us, to some degree or another, are hypocritical. In, in some way or another, we are all hypocrites. And hypocrisy, in its sort of the basic essence of the word, is a word that means putting on a mask. 
It's a word that the Greeks used when, in, in relation to actors who would put on different masks for different scenes in a play um, in the theater in order to be different characters. So one, one scene, you're this character, and so you paint your face this way, and then the next scene, you're a different character, so you paint yourself differently for the next scene to be somebody else, to fit into that play. And so if you overlay that into our life, how often do we be, become different people in different environments that we step into. It's like we live life often in such a way where we paint ourselves for one scene and then paint ourselves up for another scene and then paint ourselves up for another scene and all we're doing is putting on layer of mask after mask after mask because we don't want people to actually know what's going on in here. We don't want them to see that. So the Greeks refer to this as hypocrisy, and this is what so many of us do in life. We put on a mask, we put on this front of either being religious or practicing these religious acts for the wrong reasons. And what it is, is it's masking an inner sinful nature. It's, there's something that we are covering up, and Jesus is saying that it's worthless religion. That religion that is based on appearance is worthless. And in Matthew chapter 23, which we'll get to um, in, 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 I don't know, five years or something like that, um, Jesus gets really, really serious about hypocrisy. This is what Jesus says. He says, woe to you. He's talking to the Pharisees. To teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to, be, to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What a harsh statement that Jesus is making to them. And Jesus' words cut. They're sharp. They go past the externals, and they go straight to the heart. And so Jesus is confronting what people viewed as the most religious people of his day. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He's basically calling it, get this, he's basically calling it garbage wrapped in a bow. Any of you want to receive that gift for Father's Day this morning? (laughs) A pile of trash wrapped in a bow. No. So this morning, we're going to talk about these few verses in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the following weeks, Jesus is actually going to get real practical about things like anxiety. And he's going to talk about money. Um, But this is the real sharp and pointed warning about the danger of wearing the mask of religion. And I want to just hit it on the head this morning. So what I'd like for us to do as we look here at Matthew 6, 16 through 18 is really go deeper in the sense of I would like us to really talk about what it is that makes us hypocrites. What are the lies that we've bought into that actually make us hypocrites? And I want to take a moment to speak to some of you that are here this morning, that you literally come here and you sit in a church service, and you sort of analyze the church service. You're trying to figure out, like, who we are, what we believe. None of that is bad. Um, Those of you even that find yourself, like, skeptical of church, and you sit in a church service, and you're kind of skeptical of what's going on. Um, But some of you, like, sit, and you just, you critique churches, and, and it, your critique of churches is that the church is just full of hypocrites. And so that's just you immediately write off the church because there's hypocrites in the church and they say one thing and they do another. And if they're not legit, then like, I don't want to be a part of it. And for, there's a portion of it that I really resonate with, actually. Like, I 100% get it. Like, I think that you're actually right, that the the church is full of hypocrites. I think that the church is full of really broken people that desperately need Jesus. And even as I was preparing for this, this message, I have to acknowledge that like, there's been seasons of my life that I've been one of them. That I've wore the mask to cover up my pain and not get to the real heart of the issue. You don't want people to see what's actually going on. So you wear one mask in one scene and put on another mask for another and 20 years down the road in your life, you end up at this place where you're like, how in the world did I get to where I'm at? Well, you've literally been wearing mask after mask after mask after mask. Like, there's no authentic part about you anymore because you won't reveal your real self, which actually becomes a real problem in light of the gospel because what did Jesus come to take care of? Your brokenness, 
your sinfulness. He came to break down a wall that would actually separate you from the living God. And so when we wear a mask, we basically lift the wall back up. All is good. I don't need Jesus. I look fine and I'm doing the right things. When the mask comes off and the brokenness comes out, Jesus is like, that's when I can do my best work, man. Like, let's, let's get real and let's get to the heart of the matter, which is what Jesus really cared about. Um, I heard somebody once say that the reality is that the church is not a museum of saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. And I really hope we look at the church like that. Like, this is a hospital for sinners. We're, we're all sort of in process trying to become more like Jesus. We're all sort of in process, like leaning on him. And the bottom line is, like, at some point in your life, you've probably struggled with being a hypocrite. You've probably put the mask on. If not religiously, you've done it in business, and you've done it with your spouse, and you've done it with friends. Like, you've tried to cover up because you didn't really want people to know what was actually going on. But we've all struggled with it. And so I want to invite you guys this morning to listen because I sort of want to focus on the lies in our life that lead us to hypocrisy. There are lies that you and I might not verbalize, and we for sure would not verbalize them in this room this morning, but we so often believe them. And I believe that there are some lies that, that, that we're prone to believe that actually lead us to becoming hypocrites. And so I know this is kind of a super long setup for this passage, but I think it's helpful for us because Jesus is going to use the example of fasting in this passage to sort of shine a light on the idea of hypocrisy and the danger of it. And I really don't want us to miss his point. Like if you read again in 16 through 18, and when you fast, he says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward in secret. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time on fasting specifically this morning, because I don't think that's what Jesus is necessarily addressing but fasting, um, several years ago, we, we did a message on it, and we'll probably come back to it at some point. But fasting is this spiritual exercise of sorts. It's denying yourself, like, the gratification of food, or maybe it's putting away social media, or maybe your life is just super busy and cluttered, and so you take a season to sort of deny, walk away from the busyness of your life, and devote a time to God. And so in a really easy way, you don't eat and you deny yourself, you sort of starve yourself from food in order to feast on what is real, the real bread of life, on Jesus. And so this was a spiritual act that they practiced. And actually when Jesus says here, and when you fast, the implication is that you do it. Like this is an amazing invitation that we're invited into with the Lord to draw near to him in denying something to actually make him front and center and feast on him. As weird as that sounds, that's exactly what Jesus is looking for, that he would be core to our life. So we say no to something for a season to make Jesus the priority. And so Jesus is pointing us to this practice as an example, just like he did in verses 1 through 4 with tithing, and then he did in verse 5 with regards to prayer, and he's using the same model that he used in these previous verses to use this example of fasting. And what he's saying is, if you do this to be seen by others, you're wearing the mask of hypocrisy. And so as we look at these verses, I'd like for us to ask the question this morning, what are these lies that actually lead us to do this? Because I'd venture to say that no one sets out to be a hypocrite in their life. Anybody in here? Was that like your life goal from five? Like, man, Lord, I just want to be a hypocrite. I want to be a good one, you know? Nobody sets out to be that. So how do we get to where we're at? How, like even looking at the Pharisees, they often get a really bad rap. Actually, these guys like serve the Lord with everything they had. But Jesus' accusation against them was that you did all the right things, and yet your heart was totally removed from the action. And, and I feel like we are at a similar place. I'm not just saying Anthem Court Lane, but just the, say the Western church or whatever in general, where we're really good at putting on the front and doing the things without our hearts being engaged in it. And that's not the way that it started. 
That's not where you started. If you know me well enough, you know that I hate watching movies. You can ask my wife and kids. Like, I just, not because I hate movies, but I'm too ADD to sit for like two and a half hours and watch a movie. I just like start, all right, I need to do something. I just can't, I can't lock in that long. And so during quarantine and after quarantine, like, I just have been watching a bunch of documentaries and docu-series and, like, super intrigued. Like, I just, there's something, even if it's crazy people, I want to learn about them, right? And, and so, like, I've been watching all these documentaries and these docu-series and trying to learn. Like, honestly, you get to the end of most of them and you feel really bummed out, don't you? Like, you're like, what in the world just happened? Like, I've been watching some on cults and, like, through it, you're like, this is really intriguing. Why would these people follow after these, these dudes? Or like, how did these dudes become that? They didn't start like that. And then you, it progresses and it progresses. And you just realize by the end of it, you're like, man, my heart breaks. I don't know how they got to where they're at. Like that this crazy dude actually told these people to go kill people and they did it as a religious act. Like how in the world do you get there? That just sounds crazy. And so if you're anything like me, you watch these things and you wonder like, how? How does that happen? And so when I look at like hypocrisy in the church, I honestly ask the question like, how? How do we get there? What, what are the lies that we've bought into that have led us to a place of believing that that's the way it has to be? And so we continue to do it and allow our heart to be void of Christ himself and do the actions only 20 years later to realize your life is falling apart, your heart is shattered, your marriage is on the rocks, your kids are in a bad place, like your relationships in life are just a disaster. Like everything seems like it's just deteriorating, but you've still got the mask and you're still doing the church thing. And you go, how in the world did you get there? Well, it was one small step after one small step of choosing to continue to keep the mask on and never rip it off. <laughs> Say like, this is who I really am. And actually, this is who Jesus died for, <laughs> the real me. And I want to deal with the real me and be a real person, an authentic follower of Jesus. The reality is that in this room, you guys, um, we're all only one poor decision away from disaster in our lives. Like, we're all that close. We can make a decision today that would literally impact our lives forever. Hypocrisy doesn't happen overnight. And so here's, I want to just run through, like, quickly, like, four lies that I think um, we believe that develop hypocrisy in our lives that I think Jesus is addressing. The first one is this, is that we believe that being a Christian is all about doing, doing the right things. So to unpack that a bit, um, the Christian lifestyle and following Jesus, like Jesus calls us to holiness, right? Um, in fact, we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says things like, you must be perfect as your father is perfect. And you're like, how in the world can I even do that? And that was just a few verses ago. And so there's a standard that, that Jesus desires for his people that only he can meet, only he can make us righteous. But what Jesus is pointing uh, us to is that the lie that often leads to hypocrisy is to believe that the Christian life is about checking all the boxes and doing the right things. And the gospel reality that confronts that lie is that being a Christian is actually about relationship. Like, and I want you to see that here in Matthew. What does Jesus give as the alternative to hypocrisy in this passage? He said, it's grounded in a relationship with our Father. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, but when you fast, he says, anoint your head and wash your face. Basically, pull off the mask, wash it off. He says that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by who? Give me some help here. Who? It'd be seen by your father, not anybody else. And so when we lay down this lie that following Jesus is about doing the right thing and that that makes us a Christian, when we lay down the lie that, and we accept this gospel reality that it's actually about a relationship with dad. It's actually about a relationship with the father. It's a game changer in actually how we approach it. It doesn't mean that the outcome is necessarily any different. If we believe the lie that Christianity is about doing the right things or that if we accept the gospel reality that it's about this relationship with God, it often, it often 
often looks very similar in these two different directions. The outcome can be similar, but one is a mask and one is real faith. And Jesus is pushing us towards real faith, authentic faith. He's trying to bring out of us like that kind of faith that's grounded in a relationship with dad. Like in knowing him, that he comes first. Where there's, it's not about duty, it's about love. And so we want to confront that lie because we know that doing the right things for the wrong reasons is worthless. And so when it comes to practicing our faith, when it comes to things like the big three of Christianity, praying, reading your Bible, going to church, Jesus is saying, are you doing it to do the right things or are you doing it because you love him? So lay down the lie and embrace this gospel reality. The second, the second lie is this, that we believe that the purpose of spiritual practices is actually self-gratification. And this one's really interesting to me. Um, I know it sounds kind of odd, but hear me out for a second. <laughs> um, I think you see this all throughout the church. We believe a lie that the purpose of my spiritual practices, my, my actions is to gratify myself. It's to make me feel better. And when, when I talked about forgiveness several weeks ago, um, as I was reading through all of this literature on forgiveness, what I found was that there's tons of Christian literature on forgiveness, just like stacks and stacks and stacks of reading on, on forgiveness. And some of it is really, really good. Um, but what I found was that so much of it focuses on how forgiveness is good for me. And so if you forgive, I will feel more free. And so our reason for forgiveness becomes making me feel better, which is so contrary to the gospel. It wasn't about you. Like, your reason for forgiveness is because Christ extended it to us, and you don't want there to be any sort of barrier that will exist between us and God or us and others. Like, that's very simply why we practice forgiveness. Yes, is the result some freedom in your personal life? Yeah, but is that the reason we do it, so that we can be self-gratified by our act, our religious act that we did? No, it was actually for him. God is honored when we grant forgiveness. God, the, the, the wall is broken down, like the enemy is defeated when we grant forgiveness to somebody else because that's how God intended it. And so hear me, like I, I definitely do not deny that, that there is a freedom that comes for us personally, but Jesus is saying that if that is your motivation, if that really, like, if your motivation is forgiveness so that you can feel good, then it's off. But if our motivation, again, is if it's for Christ, if it's to honor him, um, then that's exactly what he's looking for. So we've bought into a lie where we will basically put on a mask of, like, I'm forgiving you out of forgiveness, out of Christian forgiveness, but it's really so that I can feel more free. I mean, that's, in a nutshell, that's the transaction that we want to happen. And it's really so that we can be liberated. And I challenge us to really see self-gratification as a lie that leads to hypocrisy. It is not about you. And here's how it plays out here in Matthew 6 with fasting. This is what people would do in Jesus' day. They would change their face. They, they, they would make themselves look gloomy whenever uh, they were fasting because they wanted other people to see and know that guy's fasting. Oh my gosh, like he's so spiritual. Did you see how gloomy he looked? And like, oh my gosh, he just like, he looks totally famished, you know? Like, whoa, kudos on you. Like, we would never do that today. Any, anybody, you want to go down to Sherman after this and hire a makeup artist and look really, really famished on the street so that people are like, oh, so rad, you know, like you've been fasting. For the religious leaders, that's really what they hoped to get. Oh my gosh, like that guy's really been fasting, you know, like that guy's really been going through it. And they would paint themselves up and make themselves look like that so that they look spiritual. Now, all of this here in, in the 21st century um, probably know that that's not the way to approach fasting. Like, it's not what you're supposed to do. You, you do it in secret. Like, we've read Matthew chapter 6, and so that's probably not a practice that we do. Like, make ourselves look gloomy so that people think we're spiritual. We don't do that. But beneath that is this desire that in my spiritual practice, 
I feel good about myself. And this is why I'm so concerned about this lie that we believe because when we make feeling good about ourselves, the reason that we practice our faith, what about when you don't feel good about yourself? You have a complete crisis of faith because all it was was trying to make you feel good. So you did the things to make yourself feel good, but when you don't feel good, something's off with God or he's not present or whatever it is. And this is what I hear time and time again when I talk to people about the fact that they stopped reading their Bibles because they weren't getting anything out of it. I don't attend church anymore because I wasn't being fed. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't pray anymore because God never did anything, nothing ever happened, I I never received anything from it. And so we abandon all forms of like spiritual practice that were intended to draw us near to the Father. We jump ship because they didn't do for us what we wanted. And Jesus is hitting us on the head, like don't let that be you. It's about the heart. He wants to know you and draw near, like what? Seriously, what an amazing thing that the God, the creator of the universe, the one true God has invited us into relationship with him and he's given us opportunities like fasting and prayer and reading scripture and being part of a collective community of faith to actually draw us near to him. What a crazy thing to think about, that he loves us enough that he's actually put these things in place that we can do to draw near to him. And we've hijacked them and started using them in order to get out of it what we want. And when we don't get out of it what we want, we're done altogether with God. The reason that we practice our following Jesus is not to gratify ourselves, but to give glory to God. It's not about self-gratification. It's about God-glorification. And John Piper, I love the way he says this. He always says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Like he loves you. And I can't reiterate that enough. That the God of the universe wants to know you in an intimate way. Not on the other side of a mask. He wants to know your heart. The way you tick. He wants to know your deepest junk. And have that mask be removed. And even see the dirt and know that only he can fix it. He wants to know you. But the world tells us to cover it up. In every aspect of life, the world wants the cover-up because the cover-up makes us feel good and preserves the, the, the wickedness inside of us so that Jesus can't actually deal with it because it's about our own self-preservation and not God's glorification. Third thing, third lie that we believe um, is that I need to act like I'm more godly than I actually am. All of us know this reality, I think, even outside of the church. People know this reality. Uh, Psychologists call it the imposter syndrome. That we find ourselves maybe in a profession or a field or a circumstance in life where we don't feel qualified to do what we're doing, and we sort of feel like an imposter, and so we wonder how in the world we got there. Because we don't feel qualified or capable. And so in order to live up to that lie, we keep living the lie. We keep feeding it. And there's this fascinating biography about this guy. Uh, have you guys seen the movie Catch Me If I Can? There's an amazing biography about that, that dude's life. And uh, the movie is about this guy, if you haven't seen it, who basically lived this lie. For, for years, he flew on airlines and he pretended to be a pilot, like thousands of flights. It's estimated he like, went all over the world, thousands of flights. Um, and he just pretended to be a pilot. And he gave this Google talk uh, not too long ago, where he tells the whole story. And he says that how he did it was that he learned to talk the talk. He didn't ever actually fly a plane. He just told people that he needed a lift to another airport, and he dressed like a pilot. And so he, he, he said that he talked the talk, and then it was an easy transition just to start living the lie. And, and as it went on, it became easier and easier, and he never, again, actually flew as a pilot. He just flew on other airlines and said he needed a lift from this airport to that. So thousands of flights all over the world, but he learned to talk the talk, and then he learned to live the lie. And so many of us do this when it comes to our spirituality. We actually, we learn the talk. We learn the things to say. People say things all the time. Um, Oh, that's Christianese. Have you ever heard that before? That's because we've developed a lingo, and when the lingo is used, 
in some circumstances, it totally shuts down a deep conversation because you use the proper verbiage to make people assume that you have things figured out. And at the heart of the matter, like your heart, you're a whitewashed tomb. Your heart is like garbage wrapped in a boat. And this is the reality that authentic faith is about the affections of our heart rather than the appearance of our faith, our face. Um, this language is all over Matthew 6 because what they do in Jesus' days, they disfigure their faces. The Greek word that was used um, says they disfigure. They're basically saying that their faces were opposite of recognizable is what it means. And so they make themselves unrecognizable. But what did Jesus say? He said they made themselves unrecognizable to be recognized. Isn't that ironic? They make themselves unrecognizable to be recognized. And it's sort of like this play on words that Jesus is using here. He's saying that they make themselves unrecognizable to be recognized, to be looked at as more godly. And Jesus' response is amazing. What's he say? Watch your face. He says, don't do that. Anoint your head with oil. Wash your face. He says, stop wearing the mask. Why? Because Jesus wants the affections of your heart more than he wants the appearance of your face. We have to get past this, church. We have to. He loves us too much to wear a mask in front of him, to act like we're in this when we're really not. Like he wants your heart. In 2 Timothy, Paul picks up on this whole theme and he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Then he goes on to say, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, dot, dot, dot. He goes down this massive list. And it's this long list of what people will be like as they live these lives. And down a little further in the passage, he says this, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Denying its power. And that's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Jesus says that it's worthless. And not only that it's worthless, Jesus says that it's powerless. Powerless. So the gospel reality is that Jesus isn't concerned with you looking more godly than you actually are. He's concerned with your heart and your simple faith. It doesn't matter how simple it is. He just wants authenticity. He wants your real face. So Jesus' response to hypocrisy in 617 was, wash your face. And I'd encourage you that the practice of washing your face, as Jesus is telling us to do, is this practice of denying the lies that we've believed. Lay down the lies that tell you you need to be more godly than you actually are. Embrace the reality that Jesus wants faith, no matter how simple it is. And then the last thing, I'll invite the worship team up now. The last lie is this, the lie that the approval of others is worth more than the approval of God. All of these lies sound a little bit absurd for us to say in church, I think. Um, but I want to know, like, how often do you actually believe that? We believe that the, the approval of others in our life is worth more than the approval of God. And so it's easier to put on a mask and receive the applause of others than to practice faith in a closet and to receive the reward of God. And I'm going to be really honest with you guys this morning. The last three months of COVID, you want to know what the majority of conversations were with me and other pastors that were going through that season together? I can't tell if we even have a church. I don't ever see their faces. I don't know how many people are there on Sundays. I, do the views equate to people on YouTube? It's like a crisis a little bit in these people's lives because we find that we're just as guilty because we allow ourselves to get wrapped up in the approval of everybody else and having everybody else, the mass crowds or whatever it is to make ourselves feel good instead of just like raw obedience and authenticity before the Lord. Preach because he told you to preach if it's one or if it's 500. Do what God's asked you to do. Don't pay attention to the masses. Don't do things because other people told you to do them. Like I'm a people pleaser at my core. Live my life in such a way where it was just like, I, I want to make people happy, and so I do 
whatever it is I need to do so that they feel taken care of. And you get to a point in your life somewhere along the road where you start feeling very tired. Like, man, I am literally putting on a mask in this environment to put on a mask in this environment to put on a mask in this environment. And at the core of it all, nobody actually knows who I am. How many of you this morning can attest to that in your own life? It's been mask after mask after mask. And underneath that mask is layer of hurt after hurt after hurt that you don't actually want to deal with because it's too painful to deal with the real you. And that's who Jesus died for. Like the real broken you. Like we talk about being saved. It means rescued. And if you've got it all put together and you've done all the right things, there is nothing to rescue. We need him. I pray this morning that we can say goodbye to the whitewashed tombs, that we can lay down these masks, that, and we can embrace this relationship with the Father who doesn't want you to act more godly than you actually are. It's actually okay to approach him very simply and say, I actually do not have most of this figured out, but I want to learn from you. And so then when you start looking at spiritual disciplines, you start seeing how God actually put these things in place that allow you to get to know him, to walk with him, to journey with him, the real you without the mask, face to face with Jesus, having him understand the deepest parts of your heart. I pray that you guys can live a, a life with a heart that's free from the imposter syndrome, a life full of meaning and actual satisfaction in Jesus, a life that's not about a glamorous reward, but a life that's about a glorious reward. And we live in a world that is always trying to convince us that it's about glamour. It's about what we can get. It's about how many follows we can have and what people will see. And the glorious life in Christ doesn't have any of that attached to it. I mean, when was the last time you saw CNN or Fox News do a story on the man or woman that was just a stellar follower of Jesus? That's not good news. <laughs> like, the world does not think that's sexy. But Jesus would rather you live a glorified life, knowing him, walking with him, than he would rather you live a glamorous life where your reward is here on heaven. And that just seems very shallow to me and yet I'm guilty of it living a life trying to get the accolades of man hoping to come across as something I'm not so that for one day for one hour or one minute I would feel as though I had things figured out only to know deep down inside that the inside was a wreck and I just often wonder how the Pharisees felt <laughs> as Jesus said these things imagine him saying like you whitewashed tombs and yet he it's not a condemnatory statement as much as it's an invitation or Jesus is more like do you want real life you want to not feel like you're dead on the inside and that you're just living a lie do you want the real thing and that's Jesus's invitation to us this morning. do you want the real thing church do you want the real thing do you want an authentic relationship with Jesus it won't look good it won't get you girlfriends and boyfriends and husbands and wives maybe it will um, but what it does get you is a depth of relationship with your father that nothing else in this world can provide for you would you guys stand with me I want you to bow your heads but only if your hearts are right I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bow your heads and let's, let's pray. Jesus, you know the innermost parts of our hearts. And the most amazing thing about that is you love us anyway, God. And um, I don't always get that or understand it but I'm so grateful for it 
Jesus, I lift up your church to you as um, big C, God, as the church has tried so hard to cover herself and make us look like something we're not in order to pretend. And God, in these, this day and age that we live in, it seems like now more than ever, the mask needs to go away and the world needs to see the real us. And we need to invite you in, Jesus, to do the deeper work that you want to do. And so I pray for each individual in this room, God, is I have no idea where they're at, but I know that you're here with us. I know that you promise you'll never leave us nor forsake us. I know that you promise that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, we want to lean on you. I pray, Lord, as we um, are this community of faith that desires to live for you, that first we'd be with you. And a result of being with you would be that, God, we, we pray because we want to spend time with you. We fast because we want to grow deeper in intimacy with you. God, we, we read our Bible because we want to know more about you, Jesus. We want to know who you are and what you're about and what you've done for us and how you've impacted our life so that we can impact others. God, we want to know the depths of who you are. And so I pray for every person in this room, Lord, that we honestly wouldn't leave this room this morning without addressing our own heart and saying, um, Lord, is there a mask that I'm wearing or three or four or ten? And Jesus, would you help us do the hard work of exposing our true face, washing our faces this morning, Jesus. So the real us stands before you, even in our brokenness, and acknowledges only you, Jesus, put us back together. I pray your blessing upon each person in this room, and I pray, God, that as we go, we actually be really encouraged that we have this God that loves us so much that he's provided opportunities for us to get to know him better and spend time with him and really grow in our depths of, of affection to him. So Jesus, may your spirit be with your church. May you go with us and empower us. God, may, may we just be comfortable being who we are, knowing that we are sinners saved by grace that desperately need Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. I wanna encourage you this morning as we sing these songs, one of the things that's really been on our hearts a lot lately is that we continue to talk about why we do what we do. And as we go into this time of singing, uh, the tendency is for us to just sing the song and get out. And I'll challenge you this morning, that's checking the box. Because for some of you, God has literally called you to sit here in his presence and spend time with him. For some of you, he's called you to sing at the top of your lungs to proclaim his glory, his goodness, his faithfulness. It's not about you. It's about him. And so as we sing together, we're literally doing business with the most high God as he invites us to worship him and to give him all. This is a great, like, awesome privilege and honor for us to worship the Most High God. And so as we sing to him this morning, man, let him have it. <laughs> if you need to sit and you need to spend some time praying, do that. You need to pray with a friend, spend some time doing that. You need to worship at the top of your lungs and get it out, go ahead and do that. But let's not take this time and just move through it because it's just the worship time of the service and we're gonna check the box and get on. But let's actually ask God how he desires for us to respond to his word this morning. Amen.